Can you hear me now? Hello. Are we on now? Now we're on. Thank you, guys. There's so many different things we know about David. In fact, I would argue that we know the story of David forward and backwards. And to test that theory to this morning, we're going to just do it backwards. Is that okay with you? David was comforted. He's an old man. He's a king. He's now been succeeded as king by his son. Things are going pretty well for him. But he's an old man and he's about to die. But David at this time in his life, he's comforted. Why has David been comforted? David is comforted because earlier David was mourning. David was mourning in his heart for the loss that he suffered. It was a great loss that he had had in his life. And it brought tears to his eyes and his knees to the ground. Because he had lost something very, very special. You see, David mourned because Absalom had died. Absalom was one of David's sons, and Absalom was killed in battle. He was fleeing from a group of people, and as he's riding on his mule through the woods, his hair gets caught up in a tree, and the mule keeps going. Absalom does not. He's left there hanging one of the faithful men, Joab, they, they see him, it's reported back to him that, wait, Absalom is stuck hanging in a tree. They go and they run spears through him and they bring him to the ground and they bury him. You see, Absalom died because Absalom had rebelled. Absalom was, in fact, the son of the king, but he was very unhappy with some of the things that the king had done. And so he decided that he would rebel, and he did so pretty successfully. He had nearly survived had it not been for some long hair and a low-hanging branch. Maybe the story would have been a little bit different. But you see, the reason why Absalom rebelled was because Tamar was defiled. You see, Tamar was the sister of Absalom. And Tamar was defiled and broken, and ultimately she went to live with her brother Absalom during her time of mourning. And for two years, he stewed in anger because of what had happened to Tamar. You see, Tamar was defiled because she had a half-brother named Amnon. And Amnon, half-brother to Tamar, also son of King David, lusted. He lusted over his half-sister, and finally he gave in. And he defiled his sister, which led to a rebellion. But right in the middle of that, between the, the defiling and the anger in the morning, David had done nothing. 
To be a king so great as he was, to be a man after God's own heart, he did very little, it seems like, to help his children along. You see, when this whole thing came up with Amnon and Tamar, he just kind of stepped back and did nothing. When Absalom was having problems in his life, David kind of stepped back and did nothing. And the reason why David did nothing was because Amnon had lusted after Tamar. And that's why David felt like that he couldn't do anything about it. He saw what had happened. He knew what had happened. But when his son did that to his daughter, he didn't do anything about it. You see, prior to that, David had been blessed with children. Lots of children. He had a great life. So many good things had happened. But you see, the reason why he was blessed with children is because he rejoiced and praised God. See, David was a man after God's own heart, and he loved to give thanks and praise to God. And as Lance has pointed out in many of our conversations, the one thing he loves about David, I think that we all love about David, is David is full bore, 100%, no coasting, no neutral. There is one gear for David, and that's full speed ahead. When he rejoiced, he rejoiced 100%. We talked about last week. When he came in bringing the ark in, he danced before the Lord with all his might. But prior to the rejoicing, prior to the giving thanks, prior to having children, God forgave. David rejoiced because God had forgiven. As I read the story, I I wonder, should God have forgiven? I mean, I'm thankful that He does, right? Because when it all comes down to it, we need forgiveness. And we desperately need God's forgiveness. David rejoiced because God forgave. God forgave because David had repented. David had repented. As we were looking through our story for this week, I want us to get an idea of what it was like for David as he was going through this. I want to read with you. As he talked about this blessing that he received. David writes this in one of his psalms. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and 
and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my, congress- my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts Him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. David had reason to rejoice because God had forgiven. And God forgave because we have David who's willing to confess. Not only to confess that he has sins, but then to repent and say, I'm not going to keep on living in those ways. You see, he had repented. And because of that, we have one of the greatest psalms ever written. It's one that we sing quite often. You'll find it in chapter 51 of Psalms. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins And blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit. To sustain me. It's one of the most beautiful psalms that we have. It, it, it came from a man who was down and out. Who, who really had just gotten into a, a difficult situation. And he had to make a decision. He had to decide. What am I going to do when things get rough? I want to pause from the story that happened thousands of years ago. And I want to rewind what happened in my life just a few hours ago. My son and some of his friends, we were celebrating his 11th birthday and headed off to Lubbock to a place called Adrenaline City. And for those of you who are over 30, you know what that means. It means for the next several days, you will be in extreme pain, hurting in places you didn't know you had. That's been my life for the last 36 hours. But we had gone over to Adrenaline City, and it's exactly what it sounds like. 
You go in there, they have these ropes courses, they have this laser tag, but the coolest thing that they have, the coolest thing that they have, is they have a room that is solid trampolines the whole way. On the floors, on the walls, there's trampolines. Which is good, because when you start jumping and can't stop, the best thing you can have is something soft to hit on the wall. Except you kind of bounce back off of that. And one of the things they had, even off to the side, they had another room that had trampolines in it. And what we did is we played this game. It was dodgeball. You had two teams, one on this side, one on that side. They blow the whistle. You get these little balls that are, that are soft, but you still can throw them. And, and they blow that whistle, and you go run and get that ball, and you spend the whole time trying to peg somebody on the other team. So we're in the middle of the game. We've lost several games. You know, they just kind of split up. You go here, you go here. So we lost several games. Finally got into a game. We're, we're up. We're about to win the game. It's six people on my team, one person left on the other team. So we're about to take them out. Finally, I can taste victory, right? I'm so excited about this. This little kid, this little kid who's on my team, I say he's little. He's probably about 11, 12 years old. You can't cross the line because they're on that side of the team. We're on this side. And all of a sudden, he runs to the other side, grabs the ball, and says, I switch teams. Wham! And pegs me. I'm standing right there. And I said, what? I said, you can't do that. You can't switch teams. We're in the middle of a game. I looked over the ref and I said, can he switch teams? He goes, I guess. So the one time I was supposed to win, I didn't win. And I had a real problem with that. Not because, not because I didn't win, but because there was something wrong with him switching. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was fair. He messed with the wrong preacher. It was Friday night and he was going to get a sermon. So he gets out and he gets back in line. I came up to him. I said, do you always switch teams? I said, when you're in the middle of a football game, do you turn around and tackle the quarterback and say, ha, I switched teams. You do that? No. I said, what happens to being loyal? He didn't like the fact that I confronted him. I said, listen, I don't have anything wrong with you. But I think it's really important that you know. Because when you're losing, you don't switch to the other team. Or when you're winning, you don't cheat on the other people and switch. They have names for those kind of people. Like Benedict. We don't like those. You stay loyal. So the next game we got in there. And so I decided I was going to use all my skills, none of it physical, to figure out how to beat this little kid. And so Brett was a part of it. Where is Brett? You're the song leader. You're on the front row. You're going to have to come forward and confess. Because the deal is, you're at the back of the room. You go run and get the ball. You can't peg them until you go back to your wall. When you touch the wall, then you can peg them. I said, Brett, I got an idea. You stay at the back of the wall. I'm going to run up. As soon as I get the ball, I pitch it back to you. Then you can throw it at him. And it worked. It was beautiful. And he got out and he was mad. And he turned to the ref and the ref says, hey, that was just good thinking. So he gets out. And I'm like, finally, you made a good call, ref. Way to go. I mean, he's wearing the black and white. And he gets out and the kid's all mad. And I said, listen. I said, listen, I want you to know something. 
You got a great arm. You can throw really good. You're a great winner. Why don't you try to be a good loser too? Why don't you try to learn to lose? Because let me tell you something. He didn't want to hear anything. I said, let me tell you something. He's like, did I get a sermon? What's the deal here? Get rid of this old guy. He told the ref, make the old guy leave. He said that. I looked over. He pointed at him. Make him get out of here. He's too old for this. And finally, I, I worked it on where I could get on his team. And I said, listen, I'll be your best friend. And then we did the trick on somebody. I said, you stay back here. And I went up there and I threw it to him. He said, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I said, don't forget. Remember, it's not just how you act while you're winning. It happens, it matters what you do after you lose. You see, that really defines who we are. Because we're all going to get knocked down. And all of us, at some point, we're going to find the end zone too. But what happens when you're laying on the ground after you got sacked? Maybe by your own teammate. What happens then? Do you get back up? See, this is why we love David. David got knocked down. Do you know why he confessed? Because prior to confessing, David was the man. Remember the story? Nathan comes to him. Nathan the prophet says, hey, I got a little story I want to tell you, David. There was this guy who had lots of money. He had lots of sheep. He was very wealthy. Right next to him lived this other man who didn't have much. But one thing he did have, had this one little ewe lamb. And he loved the ewe lamb. He took care of it. He, he held it. He fed it his own food. He stayed in the house. And he loved this little ewe lamb. Well, one time a visitor was coming through town to see the rich man. And the rich man decided he wanted to feed his visitor. But instead of going to take one of his sheep, he goes and takes the ewe lamb and slaughters it. And David was furious. Scripture says that he burned with anger. And he says, this man must die. He must pay fourfold for what he's done. And Nathan says, you are the man. He says, David, you're the man. You're the one who stole. The one who had everything, but you took the ewe lamb from that man who loved it. You see, David had confessed because Nathan confronted. Nathan confronted because David murdered. David was a murderer. There was a man by the name of Uriah the Hittite who's found in this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. But also you can look back in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Uriah is also mentioned among 29 other men who were one of David's 30 mighty men. That's Uriah. And David killed one of his own men. He told one of his leaders, he says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to send Uriah to the fiercest part of the battle. Where the defenses are their strongest. And once the battle gets going, I want you to back up. I want you to retreat and you leave him there and he's going to die. And you know what? Uriah 
died there. And David was a murderer. David was a murderer because David manipulated. You see, prior to that, he asked Uriah to come home for a visit. Why don't you come see me, Uriah? I know you're busy at war, but you know I'm the king. Just come back. Let's talk for a little bit. Uriah came home. He spent some time in the palace. And he says, okay, go home and stay with your wife. What's her name again? I can't remember. I, I, I don't know that I know her. Uh, I, what, Bathsheba or something? Yeah, go stay with her, right? And Uriah, he slept in the palace with the other guards. He, he, he wouldn't go and stay in his, his, his own home. David got up the next morning and says, Hey, you didn't go see your wife, that, that other lady. You, shouldn't you go stay with her? And he says, No, I would never do that. My men are out fighting. The ark is out there. I can't do that. So David says, Well, you know, you, everybody can be manipulated a little bit with maybe some alcohol. And so he gets Uriah drunk. And sends him back home. And, and he refuses to go sleep with his wife. And that's why Uriah died. You see, David was a murderer because prior to that, David manipulated. Prior to that, David committed adultery. With a woman who he did know. Her name was Bathsheba. I don't know how well he knew her or knew who her husband was, but David brought her into his palace, that ewe lamb, and he slept with her. You see, he slept with her. He had committed adultery because prior to that, David had lusted. David saw Bathsheba while he was up on his flat roof palace looking around and noticed Bathsheba was bathing and he saw her and she says, he said, bring her to me. You see, David lusted because David, as we start this story out, while other kings were at war, David was at home. David shouldn't have been on that roof. He should have been out doing what kings do. Protect and fight. But instead he decided he was going to take some time off and strolling through the roof, on the roof, allowed him to begin something quite terrible. You see, because... David was in the wrong place. It led to a chain of events. And I want to pause here, and I may try to focus really on our younger folks, our teenagers, but just because you aren't a teen doesn't mean you're excluded. But let me tell you, if you are 25 and under, this is really, really, really important for you to know. I hope that if you're over 25, you know this already. But just in case, this is really important. Where you are and who you are with is very, very important. I know you think your parents are old school when they say, nothing good happens after 11 o'clock at night. They're right. Almost nothing good happens after 11 o'clock at night. Why do they nag you about your friends? 
Because they know that who you hang out with and where you go affects you and your future forever. It matters who you're with, who you're dating, what kind of people you hang out with, and where you go. I'm talking to you two girls back there too. You are good, sweet, wonderful girls. But let me tell you, you go in the wrong place with the wrong people and bad things happen. You know what that is? That's called life. You make choices now that will affect you forever. You don't believe me. Listen to this. The winter rains had stopped. It wasn't quite time to start sowing the seeds. So there's this in-between time. It's the ideal time that kings go off to war. But instead of going to war, David stayed at home. And because David decided to stay at home, David was up on the roof. Because he was up on the roof, he saw something he shouldn't have seen. Because he saw something he shouldn't have seen, he lusted. After he lusted, he committed adultery. Then he lied. Then he manipulated. Then he murdered. Then Nathan confronted him. He repented. God forgave. David rejoiced. David was blessed with children. Amnon lusted, and David did nothing. Time out. What does that have to do with anything? You want to know why David probably did nothing to Amnon? Why do you think he didn't do anything to Amnon? Because he did the same thing. He thought to himself, how can I go to my son and say, Amnon, shame on you for doing such a terrible, horrible thing. Because in the back of David's mind, years earlier, years earlier, David walked on a roof. David was in a place he shouldn't have been. And because of that, years later, when Tamar was defiled by her own half-brother, her father did nothing And it all began decades prior when he stepped on a roof. David did nothing. Tamar was defiled. Absalom was anger. Absalom ultimately rebelled. Absalom was killed. David mourned. Ultimately, David was comforted. But there's always that black spot. And folks, it started with one little thing. It started with David choosing to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I want to show you one more thing. Because I do want you to know, it goes both ways. You see, after David was comforted, he spent a lot of time gathering supplies. You know, I, I want you to know, really bad things often start off in a very somewhat innocent way you know what he was on a roof it wasn't a big deal so sue me i was on the roof but you weren't where you're supposed to be david and as a result of that look what happened in his life bathsheba was pregnant and they lost that child and it all went back to david being in the wrong place But you know, David doesn't do anything halfway at all. Not even close. 
You see, he was a man after God's own heart, and he loved the Lord with everything that he had. And because of that, he enlisted some men. You see, because he really wanted to give honor to God. And he says, God, I I, want to build you a temple. I I want to build a place. And so he starts collecting supplies. Lots and lots and lots of supplies. So much iron you can't count. So much bronze you can't count. So much wood you can't count. A million talents of silver. Ten thousand talents of gold. It was unfathomable how much he had. And then he went before the people and he says, Hey, we have this, but we can get more. And they began giving more and more and more. And then he did this. Get this. He hired these people. These blacksmiths, so it were. And he said, here's what I want you to do. You see, I want to build a temple for the Lord. But God said my hands are too bloody. That I fought too much. And so he's going to let my son do it. So I want to make sure everything goes out just the way it was planned. So years before the temple would even begin construction, he does this. He hires these guys. And he says, I want you to, I want you to start making nails. Because you're going to make nails. That ultimately will go into wood. That will build a structure. That will become a temple. And it will be a place where God is praised. I want you to know, God does big, big things. And they start off really small. Please, don't neglect to do the little things because you want to do something so big. The temple wasn't built in a day and well before One log was cut. One stone was carved. A group of guys hunkered over a big anvil with a crude hammer began fashioning nails. I just want to know. I'm amazed to think what nail is God having you work on right now what little thing what little thing is he going to put in front of you today that says i'm going to walk across the street i'm going to smile i'm going to say a kind word i'm going to offer a hug i'm going to write a card i'm going to make a phone call that little bitty nail that you begin forging years and years later instead of being a blight in your life will be a temple for the Lord because you were willing to do something so small and it became so big. It was more than one. It was three nails that God would use thousands of years later and it wasn't small by any means. It was large. And yet even as massive as it was, it still becomes personal because it was those nails that hung your Savior Jesus to the cross.
And as a result of that act, God was glorified. And mankind was saved. This morning, I want you to think about and remember what Jesus did for you through His act. And how each one of you, your acts today, will lead on into your future. Are you going to make nails? Are you going to walk on a roof? This morning, you get to decide. We want to encourage you. If you've lived in a life of sin and you feel like you are the man that Nathan talked about, we have a God who says, I will wipe clean and make everything new. That's the promise that God gives through His Son, Jesus. And we want to encourage you to consider making that commitment today. If there's any way that we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.